Welcome to the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. We hope you're encouraged by today's message and encounter God's heart through it. To find out more about us, visit lifechurchstpeters.com. But Randy and I have the privilege of serving the body here, and uh, we welcome you amongst us. If you're uh, a first-time guest or a newer guest, we all, all we're interested in, well, it's not all we're interested in, but the main thing that we're interested in is that you connect with Jesus, that you hear his voice, you, you know he loves you, he cares for you, and we do that through worship, we do that through many different things, through testimonies, you may have heard people uh, coming up and, and sharing different things that God was speaking to them, and it's also through the Word of God, and this morning we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to walk through the Word of God, um, and it's a funny message for me, this is actually kind of a bookend message, three weeks ago, um, anybody here three weeks ago when I talked about Samson, run for us, run? It was a great message. I actually liked it. And this is kind of a, a bookend of it. And as I was just praying over the last couple of weeks leading up to this Sunday, it was funny. This morning in the prayer time in, in the back, we, we pray in the morning from 8.30 to 9.30 as a group of people. And a lady came over and she just, she just said that sometimes God makes us uncomfortable, makes us uncomfortable. Just me being up in front makes me uncomfortable. So join my party. Um, but sometimes God makes us uncomfortable that we would catch his ear. And I just felt as I was preparing this, this, this week, and if you've been part of this body for a while, you know that uh, probably the message I preached three weeks ago and the, what I want to share with you this morning, it's not my normal vein of communication. It's not the, the, the normal thing you, you know, that I would serve up. But I really felt Holy Spirit just leading me just to just share on this. And I, and I think it'll probably occasion, this is not a threat or a promise, <laughs> But it's actually an encouragement. I hope it makes me uncomfortable this morning. In some positive, amazing, great way, it makes me uncomfortable. Because I find I grow most when I'm uncomfortable. I grow most when something, and I don't know about you, I have long, 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 long toes. Don't get any mental pictures. And I'm in so many situations in life, and I have this involuntary response when I get uncomfortable. My toes curl. They just, I, could, I could grip and swing on a tree. I, I, I could be a trapeze artist. I have very long toes. And so often when I'm in situations, I just have this involuntary thing. I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. I'm uncomfortable. And the beauty of Holy Spirit, the beauty of the Bible is sometimes it, it touches things deep inside of me that makes me uncomfortable. But it's not to agitate. It's not to just annoy me. He's a good, good, good father. But he also is committed to me changing. He wants me to look just like Jesus. And if that's going to happen, somebody's got to change because Jesus is not. It might be me. I might be the person. So as I mentioned a few weeks ago, stepping into 2020, there is a theme and a, and a theme scripture. It's 2 Peter 3 verse 11 may appear on the overhead. There it is. And in uh, the beginning, the first 10 verses of chapter 3, it talks about this earth is going to pass away. Boeing is going to pass away. The Cubs are going to pass away. The Patriots are already gone in Jesus' name. Oh, there's good. There's good things. God is very, very good. But in 2 Peter 3, this amazing apostle who, who messed up so many times is recorded in Scripture, just 
disaster after disaster after disaster. He says, don't get used to this world. It's all going to pass away. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But don't fall in love with what you see because it is extremely temporary. And in light of this life and my life being so temporary, verse 11 finds its place in his letter. It says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, verses 1 through 10, what kind of people ought you to be? What, Tom, what kind of person? It's, my life is not forever. In light of that, what kind of people ought you to be? And he gives us the answer immediately. He says, you ought. You ought to live holy and godly lives. You ought to. In light of, this is so, life is a, a whisper. It's fleeting, as it talks about in the scripture so many times. Life is just like that. In light of that, Tom, you ought to live a holy and a godly life. This morning, like I said, it's a book into uh, a message three weeks ago on Samson's life. The title of this morning's message is From the Penthouse to the Outhouse. From the Penthouse to the Outhouse. And sometimes, Holy Spirit, as I said earlier, makes me uncomfortable. But it's always to bring me to him, to wake me up, to get my attention, to disturb me, to wake me from slumber. John Casca came up and he was just talking about heart surgery. And that's what I, I felt so uh, much over the last couple of weeks. It's just, just a short, short season. Tom, I, I want to do heart surgery. I want to, wherever you're at, whatever is in there. And, then, and Beth brought a beautiful word this morning about rain. And I, and I was standing here during the very beginning of worship before she came up. And I, and I just saw rain coming from heaven. But it, I, don't, if you've, I don't have this kind of a cool shower, and I'm not going to visit yours if you do. But they, have, they call these, these, these rainforest shower heads, and it's like a, a rainforest. I went on a vacation a couple times, and they had those. I want to bring that home. I like that rainforest thing. And I just had a picture as I was worshiping, as I fir we first started this morning, just the gentle rains of heaven. Not, not a deluge, not a, a crash on top of my head, but it's just the gentle rain. And I just felt Holy Spirit just whisper to me, it's to soften your heart, Tom. The whole purpose, to soften my heart. And that's what rain does. It comes into the, the hardest of areas. Unless it's rock, it softens everything the rain touches. And, that, and that's its goal, to soften it so that the seed of the heaven, seed of heaven, the word of God would come in and find a place where it can grow. This morning, we're going to look at King David. Many of us, if you have been in church for a while, we're all very, very, very familiar with King David. He's, he's one of the most talked about people in the Bible, one of the most um, appreciated people in the Bible. If you went around the room, and let's just say there's 175 people in the room, probably 20 or 30 we said, who is your hero besides Jesus? Who's your hero? David. He's, yes, there's another one. See? Out of the mouths of babes. He's probably my number two or three guy. I just so appreciate David for innumerable ways. As we know from the Bible, he is a king. He was glorious. He was feared. He was revered. He was loved. He was honored. He was a picture of power as the ultimate warrior king. And yet, as we read Psalms, 
and so much of Scripture, and he, he wasn't just this bad boy warrior king. He was soft-hearted. He was a tender singing musician in love with his God. Kings and nations feared him. He, Israel's greatest warriors of all time found their pleasure and privilege in serving under him. He was a man of action. When there was a problem, David went to the front. He didn't send the other guys. David was at the forefront. What a man, what a king, what a guy. Somebody who wanted to serve and run with. He had wealth, he had fame, he had nobility. He had adoration of hundreds of thousands of people. Affirmation. Ladies sang songs about him. King David was the bomb. He had it. He had it all. And then some. But yet. And we'll get to the but yet in a minute. Three weeks ago, I talked about Samson, who was an amazing, was an amazing judge. He was called before birth to be a judge in the nation of Israel. And he was going to bring about deliverance for his people. And he was a Nazarite. He took a vow and it had three different aspects to it specifically. But we were not going to talk about those. But one of them was, don't ever shave your hair. It's a problem for someone like me. Don't shave your hair. Don't ever let a razor touch it. And as Samson grew and he understood, he was, he was uniquely crazy, freaky strong. And it wasn't because he was rippling with muscles. Everyone would have immediately thought, it's your muscles. He looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, clearly a strong guy. But that wasn't Samson. Nobody could figure out, how did you get so strong? Because you don't look so strong. And Samson was a, a different dude. I, I, he's just a different guy. And through his life, through his power, through his... Uh, fame during his life, he began a very, very bad habit. He began playing with sin. He began playing on the edge, playing with things he shouldn't play with because of his vows. And one by one, he began breaking the vows that God had set for him before his birth. He said, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But Samson just kept flirting on the edge of danger. I didn't get caught. I didn't lose my fame. I didn't lose my power. And he just toes closer Feet over, to the heels over, playing. It's fun. God hasn't left me. I'm okay. Until one day, the scripture actually says, he put his head in the physical lap of the woman who shaved his head. He became so comfortable with sin that his head was in the very lap of disaster. Literally, the lap of disaster. And while he was sleeping, Delilah shaved his hair while he was asleep. And I find so often in my life, how many times am I asleep to the very thing that can destroy me? Am I awake? Am I alert? Do I understand? Am I flirting with danger? Am I playing with danger? When I became a Christian in 1977, I just went to the church for the, with the man who led me to Jesus over on um, the other side of the river, the river that shall be not be named, that side that shall not be talked about. Went to a very large church, 2,000 people, 20, 30 people were getting saved every Sunday. It was amazing. Miracles were happening. I, my mouth was open again, but this time because of miracles, I'm like, you can't 
That's not physically possible. People are getting saved. People are getting healed every Sunday. There's baptisms every Sunday. The pastor, the preacher was bigger than life, larger than life. Amazing teacher, amazing preacher. I saw him lay hands on the sick and them get healed. I saw a miracle. With, I was this close to, to somebody when they had a miracle happen. I was like, that you don't see at work on Monday. I was working at Dairy Queen. We didn't see that at Dairy Queen. And after nine months, this amazing, amazing, powerful minister stood up on a Sunday and announced that he'd been committing adultery. While all the miracles were happening, while things were happening, while the presence of God was so powerful, he was in sin while all that was happening. And I had a shock of reality because I wasn't raised in church. I couldn't equate the two. Miracles, power, salvation, people getting healed and saved while the man of God was committing adultery. Those didn't, in my logical mind, don't work. And I became very aware at a very young age the fallibility of men of God, people of God, men and women of God. But even great people do stupid things. Good people do stupid things because we're people and we're this side of heaven. And the church was obliterated overnight. A thousand people left overnight. And went, it was to the blessing of other churches in the area. But that church was devastated and people devastated. And so many people walked away from God because they were so impacted by this horrific thing that had happened. The consequences of sin, the consequences of poor choices is always so much more than I can presume would happen. This morning, I'd like to walk with you, with us, through the Bible, just for a picture of King David's life, so that I might carefully watch how to conduct my life and how maybe it could help you conduct your life. And it's a simple word this morning of change now. Respond now. Re-engage now. Have heart surgery now. Pursue him now. As the story unfolds in 1 Samuel, the book of 1 Samuel, David was a, a nobody, an absolute nobody. He was a boy that his parents didn't recognize, his brothers didn't recognize, overlooked on every occasion, kind of an outcast. And one day, a famous man, Samuel the prophet, came to the house and said, this day I'm going to anoint a king. And he said to David's Father, bring all the boys. David was of such non-consequence. Not even, eh, eh, maybe not him. Didn't even bring him in the house. He was that significant to his family. Not even an afterthought. And the prophet went, not this boy, not this boy, not this boy, not this boy. And at the end said, uh, dude, got any other kids? Got any other boys? Well... As I've said before, we got the flaky musician out singing to the sheep on the hills. I don't think you want him. And Samuel said, we're not going to sit down until you bring the boy in front of me. David walked in. And Samuel said, that's him, and anointed him on the spot, the future king of Israel. The boy that his own father didn't even count 
theologians will tell you that potentially David was actually from an illicit relationship. A product of an oops with another woman. Many theologians believe that. We're not going to discuss that. The Bible doesn't tell, so we're not going to speculate. But David grew up as a man that nobody noticed, nobody cared about, nobody thought about. But he was this, he was faithful. When his dad told him to do something, he made his bed. When his dad told him to watch a sheep, I'll watch a sheep, even when nobody else does. See, David had a soft heart. He was singing songs to the Lord because he was a worshiper. David was tough. He was fearless. The Bible tells us that as a teenager, he killed a bear and a lion. A bear, a real bear. Not like the Chicago Bears, soft and easy to defeat. <laughs> they get a quarterback, we'll see. But David killed a real bear. <laughs> bear. And a lion. <laughs> real teeth, real claws. And they weren't in a zoo. See, David, as a kid, was fearless. Because he knew his God. Because he was a worshiper. He was anointed by Samuel. And he grew into a giant killer. When all his brothers and all the big bad boy warriors were shaking in their boots at Goliath, David said, I'll take him down. I'll take him down right now. Audacious little punk. Brothers despised him, made fun of him, challenged him, credited him with false motives. And David went out and killed the giant, cut off his head. And everyone else was creating puddles around them. <laughs> See, David was a man's man. But he wasn't a man's man like a pig and a brute and let the whole family serve him. See, David was a worshiper. First and foremost, before he killed a bear, before he killed a lion, before he killed a giant, David was a worshiper, tender-hearted, just a lover of God. He was amazing. Amazing man. In 2 Samuel 8.15, the Bible says this about David. 2 Samuel 8.15, David reigned over all Israel, doing what was just and right for all his people. See, David did become a king. And he was amazing. If you read through chapter 8, probably from verse, or chapter 5 through 10, David destroyed this, his armies, destroyed this group of people, this group of people, all the enemies of God, routed them. And the Bible says in those five chapters, everything God did, everything David did, God was with him. He was an amazing king. Defeated all of his enemies. All of his enemies. Well, almost all of his enemies. Because he still had a couple of things on the inside of his heart. A couple of tree stumps, a couple of boulders, a couple of enemies that he never got victory over. He obliterated everything in his path in the name of God except a couple of things in his heart that needed to have surgery. He did what was just and right for all those people. In 2 Samuel 11, again, theologians will tell you David is probably in his 50s. He had been triumphant over everything in his path. He was an amazing king. Now he's in his 50s. He's been a king for 20, 25 years. 
Things are going great for David. They're singing songs. He is amazing. The only problem is David forgot who he really was. We pick it up in chapter 11, in 2 Samuel 11, and it's one of the saddest places in Scripture. As I was reading it over and over and over again over the past few weeks, I kept hating to think that chapter 11 is coming because David is an amazing man, an amazing servant of God. He is incredible man. And yet, God in his kindness, our Father in heaven, put this in here to show me and maybe to show you, maybe to show you. Deal with what needs to be dealt with in your heart so that I don't end up a shipwreck. Because David was indeed in the penthouse and after chapter 11 was in the outhouse. True nobility and his own sin destroyed his life and destroyed his personal family wreaked havoc beyond his wildest imagination of what could happen. But David had, had forgot who he was. In 2 Samuel 11, verse 1, it begins as this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, what was David? A king. In chapter 5 through 10, king, 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 battle, battle, battle. That's all it talks about. David out front, again, still more. But now later in life, he'd settled. He'd settled. In the spring at the time when kings go off to, off to war, David sent Joab, who was his general, out with the men's, king's men. And the whole Israelite army, minus one man, minus one man. Because the whole army didn't go out because one man stayed behind. And his name was David. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, David saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. See, David had seven wives already and multiple concubines. Lack of women in his life was not the problem. It's never the problem. It's easy to justify my issues. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. He's in his 50s. The man, the servant, said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. We'll talk about that in a second. She's a married woman. Then David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanness. Then she went back home, and the woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent his word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite, the husband. And Joab sent him to David. And we're not going to read all the scriptures. David tried to entice. He got him, uh, the man Uriah drunk. Go home, sleep with your wife, so nobody really knows who the dad is. But the problem is Uriah, David's friend, 
was a godly man, a righteous man, a man of character and integrity. And Uriah refused to go sleep with his wife because his men were out in battle. Pick it up in verse 14. In the morning, Uriah had refused to play David's game of deceitfulness. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, the general, and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out in front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. And when the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, or more importantly, in David's mind only, Uriah the Hittite died. Skipping down to verse 26. When Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. David had Bathsheba brought to his house, and she became his wife, another one, and bore him a son. But, 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 but. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. We all look at it in hindsight, in the rearview mirror, and think, duh. It's so easy in the hindsight, in the rearview mirror, to look back on our lives at our stupidity, at my stupidity, and go, why did I do that? That was really stupid. We all know it was stupid. Is my heart so soft that I catch myself before the Bathshebas get pregnant in my life? Before the sin happens. How soft is my heart? How away from the edge am I willing to play? In 2 Samuel 23, verse 39, some 12 chapters later, an amazing, amazing chapter, chapter 23. I would encourage you to read it. It lists all the amazing, crazy guys who served with David. These guys were the baddest of the bad. Rambo on steroids. Nine Rambo in one. It was David's mighty men. And it talks about the three. And then the one who was over the three, but not counted amongst the three. And they talked about stuff they, these guys did who served with David. One guy is bad guy. He, just, he kills 900 guys by himself. Another guy, he just sees a lion in a snowy pit, jumps down and kills a lion and gets on with it. You're like, who does that? Leave the lion alone. But the guys around David are as tough as him because they've seen something beautiful, something amazing in David's life and said, he's so amazing, I'll serve with him. And all these crazy exploits of all these men who were champions and warriors alongside David. At the very, in the very last verse of chapter 23, almost an asterisk, it says, these 30 guys, and it says, actually, there was 37 you know, bad counters, probably English majors. The very last guy, the very last mighty man, just a little asterisk, verse 39. And one of his mighty men, and Uriah the Hittite. See, it wasn't like David didn't know who Uriah was. It's one of his dudes. It's one of the guys he counted on. He knew exactly who Uriah was one of his main champions, one of his captains. 
But David had become so sleepy, so used to flirting with sin, so used to having his toes over the ledge, so used to flirting with the girl at the candy machine. Do they still have candy machines? Yeah, they still have candy. Yeah, guy knows. So used to flirting with the guy at the office. So used to cheating on the taxes. It's no big deal. The government has all the money they need. So used to flirting with sin. He finds out, who is that? Oh, that's Bathsheba, one of your guy's wives. Bathsheba. You know Uriah. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I do know Uriah. You know what? Why not? I'm the king. Nobody is going to tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. I personally believe, again, conjecture, with all of my heart that this was not a one-time thing. I think staring down from David's rooftop was a, it was a normal thing. What can I see? Who's out there tonight? Just became part of his lifestyle because his heart no longer had that sensitivity to God. No longer that, I want to run from evil. I want to, all I want to do is worship God. Now he's used to sending other people out to fight. And I'll just stay home and see what I can see. Because that's the nature of sin. It deludes. It lies to us. It's okay. It's okay. I didn't get caught just one more time. And then we apologize. Oh, I'll never do it again. I'll stop that. It's wrong. And we do it another time and another time. Until one time, it destroyed his life. That's what flirting with sin does. How could it happen to this guy? God knew what David was like. And for 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Samuel, the prophet, is at David's house before he had anointed David as a teenager. And this is what the Bible says. But the Lord said to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. Do not consider, this is the Lord speaking to Samuel, the prophet. Do not consider his appearance or his height. For I have rejected him as one of David's older brothers. Why? Because the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance. But the Lord looks at his heart. David was a fabulous man. An amazing guy. He wasn't some reprobate. Addicted to things that you ought not be addicted to. David was amazing. A giant amongst the nation of Israel. Not just a good man, a great man. And yet he got used to flirting with sin. What can happen to good people, great people? You lose all sensitivity. And you begin playing with things you shouldn't play with. Things that I shouldn't play with. Acts 13.22. What's David's testimony after his life? Acts 13.22. This is what the Bible, God's opinion, says about David after David was done and gone. Because the story's never over. The story is never over. After removing Saul... His history, he made David their king, and God testified concerning him. This is what God said. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. See, God wasn't surprised by David's sin. He knew what he was like because he knows what's in the heart of all people. He knows what's in my heart. He knows what's in your heart, and he knew when he selected David what he was going to do, and God still used him. Sometimes when my, 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 I was with my wife last couple days in Chicago looking after the grandkids, 
our son and uh, his wife went away for a weekend away. So we had the privilege of watching our three grandkids. And um, Friday night, we, my wife and I are going to bed in Chicago. And we're laughing at these three little kids. They're just, they're overly intelligent. Really, just supernaturally cute. More than yours. <laughs> and Randy's just laughing because one of the kids melted down at dinner. Just melted down. Crying. He hadn't even touched his food. Melting down. And we're looking at him, I'm like, dude, he, you know, you're going to not get your dinner. You're not going to get the cake. You're not going to get to have fun time. You, you, you don't do that. You're going you're gonna to ruin everything. It's not necessary. And he just melted, went to bed, and my wife was sitting there next to me on the couch at our son's house, and she said, it's just like us with God. He looks at, son, don't do that. It's so not necessary. You don't have to melt down in life. Don't play with that. Don't go there. The cost is so great. You, he's a dad, our father in heaven. Tom, don't play with that. Walk away from that. I have so much for you. And if you melt down, you're going to miss all the cool stuff that you could have. Don't, don't do that, Tom. So what the heck happened? Deacon, do you have a, a 45 second video you could show? This is from the telegraph.co. This is a Chinese wire walker walking backwards, blindfolded. He's walking backwards. I'm deciphering what they're saying. I have good news he lived. You can keep running it, Deacon. I have good news the man lived. Because I know Chinese and that's what they said. See? The man lived. He is okay. I do Mandarin. I have lots of skills. Turn the volume just done a little bit on that. But that's what happens. We're so foolish in our continuing on in foolish things. It's like walking backwards on a tightrope blindfolded, thinking it's going to be okay. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? I can do this. What about that? I'm, I'm going to try and speak Chinese. Sorry, sorry. I have a good friend who's fluent in Mandarin. I'm sorry, Hannah. Sorry. But we're walking backwards on the tightrope blindfolded, thinking this sin... I'm not going to get caught. I'll, I'll be fine. Until finally, we fall into something we weren't expecting. We fall off into disaster. Lord, help me take the blindfold off. Walk forwards and get off the stupid high wire. All of you have a fear of heights. I'm with you. It's flirting with sin and thinking the consequences will never get to me. Proverbs 14.33 says this. I'll be done in seven minutes, and that's a promise in Jesus' name. And may it be so. Proverbs 14.33 says this. Wisdom reposes. I love that word. Wisdom reposes in the heart of the discerning. Wisdom. Not foolishness. Not flirting with sin. Not 
walking backwards on a high wire, blindfolded, thinking disaster won't find me out. Wisdom finds its relaxed place in the heart of the discerning. And even among fools, she lets herself be known. Proverbs 16.6 says this. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. Just having a fear of the Lord. Lord, I don't want to sin against you. I don't want to break your heart. It's a a respect, a reverence, an awe for what the Lord says to stay away from. For For David, disaster came. It ruined his family. For many of his fathers, thousands and thousands and thousands of people died because of David's one sin with Bathsheba. Thousands. His reputation sullied amongst the nation. He took the wife of one of his mightiest warriors. What can we learn from this truly amazing, incredible, godly, incredibly godly man named David? Because that's what the Bible says after he was gone. He served the purposes of God in his generation. He was a man after my own heart, says the Bible about David. Recognize my vulnerabilities. What can I do about this? What can I take away from Samson? What can I take away from David? One a judge, one a king, noble from birth, called by God from birth. What can I learn? Tom, be careful. Tom, open your eyes. Tom, be willing for heart surgery perhaps to happen. Tom, it's time for plowing. And plowing gets rocks out of my life and stumps out of my life. So when the seed from heaven comes, it finds soft soil. Recognize my vulnerabilities. Maybe my vulnerability, maybe mine isn't pornography. Maybe mine isn't adultery. Maybe mine isn't flirting with the guy in the office. I never do that. It's a million miles from me. What is my vulnerability? Because I found everyone has vulnerabilities. It could be lying. It could be lying. It could be gossip. Quicker way to destroy churches and families. People... Just last night, I was at O'Hare, ready to catch a flight, and I was talking to a really close friend of mine. I'm on the phone, and I'm talking with him. We're just, we're just getting ready to board. And uh, a thought came to mind. One of my, my, my close, aside from Randy, my closest friend, I'm talking to this man on the phone. And I, a thought came to me, and, I, and his name's Jim. So I said, Jimmy, I said, remind me this next week to tell you, I got a funny story to tell you about somebody. And I had to go. And I'm sitting on the plane, I thought, it's not funny to the person I'm about to tell it about. Because somebody did something really stupid, really dumb, that really bothered me, really annoyed me. He's a mutual friend of ours, Jim and me. And I'm sitting on the plane, and the Holy Spirit's just speaking to me, he says, why are you going to gossip about that man? Why are you going to Show his ugliness to somebody else. Why would you do that? It's not funny to him. It's not funny to him. My brothers and my sisters, I want to show their good points, the beauty of their lives, not their ugliness. It's funny, as an older man, we understand. We treat people with integrity and respect because we all, we all mess up. Just gossip, that's what I was planning on doing, just gossiping about somebody. 
I wonder about you, what your vulnerability might be, what you're prone to, what's become easy for you to play with and flirt with. It may not be porn. It may not be lying. It may not be gossip. Maybe it's your spending habits. Maybe it's your anger issues. Maybe it's your nagging. Maybe it's your laziness. Maybe it's excess of all kinds or a very specific kind. We all have our vulnerabilities. Am I ready to have heart surgery and say, Lord, I don't want to play with anywhere because I don't know the consequences if it goes totally bad. Because sin is a destroyer. And it's not my friend, it's not your friend. Beth talked about gentle rains. It's time to plow. John Casca talked about it's, it's time to have heart surgery. Deal with that thing. So great, what do I do about all this? What do I do? What, what Tom, any ideas? I, okay, I've got one. One and a half. More than John Block, but he's pretty, pretty godly. Great, but what do I do with that? I got three quickies. Number one, be who you're called to be. Be who you're called to be. If David had stood on that roof that night and said, what is a king, a lover of God, doing looking at someone else's wife? Lord, forgive me, and walked away. What would happen if he just walked away that night recognizing his own, where I've come to in life. I should be out with Joab. I should be out in the battlefield. Call the servants. Get my sword. Get my weapons. I'm a king. As you are. Sons and daughters of the Most High. Remind yourself of who you are. How do you overcome these vulnerabilities? Remind yourself of who you really are. You're right. Amen. And then, once I've done that, constantly remind myself. I'm a prince. I'm a child of the king. Second thing is be accountable. Get help. Jair came up this morning and read and talked about survival of the fittest. Actually, in the kingdom, it's an upside-down kingdom, as we heard from Mike Stafford Thursday night. It's an upside-down It's not survival of the fittest. It's survival of the weakest. And I have brothers and friends that I can be accountable to and share my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities. Who do you have? Do you have anyone? Am I humble enough to say, here's the chink in my armor. Can you help me? Here's my vulnerability. I just, I so struggle with this. Be accountable. Ask for help. Get help. We have some amazingly godly women in this church. Get help. Humble yourself. We have men's group on Saturday morning. Men's group. Is it Thursday? No, it's Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Pizza with guys. Tuesday night at 6 p.m. Get help. Be vulnerable. It's the last thing the enemy of your soul wants is to say, I'm struggling. Help me. And it's the first thing Jesus says, go to your brother. Go to your sister. A godly person. Get help. Third and last, humble myself and stay connected. Humble myself and stay connected to him. Matthew 11. You won't have this, this one, Deacon. It's okay. Matthew 11 Verse 29 and 30. Jesus says, come to me. Come to him, Jesus. All you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There it is. You're amazing. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I, Jesus, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because he wants to do an exchange. For I am gentle and humble in heart. 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, says Jesus, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Do you have that last graphic, Deacon? Time is so precious. Don't waste it. Maybe you're 40 and older. Maybe you're 50 and older. Maybe you're 60 and older. And the sands of the hour, it sounds like a soap opera. The days of our, is it days of our lives? Hey, I'd never watch this stuff. I have no idea. The days of our lives is sands through the glass. As an older person, can you invest in somebody? Can I come alongside somebody? And expose my faults, expose my mistakes. And tell them, I, you don't have to go. This is what I did wrong. This is what I did great. You don't have to go this way. The, for me, this is how I treated my wife for too many years. And you don't have to go that way. If I was looking for a wife, Johnny, is there any, there's no Johnnies in the room? Johnny, if I was looking for a wife, these are the qualities I would look for. Susie, if I was looking for a husband, these are the qualities in a man of God I would be looking for. It has nothing to do with status on a basketball court or degrees or money or muscles. But look for a man with a soft heart. Look for how he relates to his mother. Look how he treats his sisters. Well, maybe not the sisters, but... I had one sister. I didn't do very good there. But give your life away. Come alongside someone. Can we all stand, please? Holy Spirit, I, I thank you that you're here. I thank you. I thank you that you're here. And you've already touched everyone's heart in here. You've already spoken and touched that area of vulnerability. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You are faithful. That You do the convicting. I don't have to. Bob doesn't have to. Quentin doesn't have to. We can put all our rocks down to throw at somebody else. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're specific to me. To me. And Father, I, I, with this area, I, I've dealt with it too long. I've, yeah, I've flirted with sin. Yeah, I've, I've been casual with things. I, I, I do things to excess. I don't want disaster to come upon my house. I want to draw a line in the sand and say, Father, this day I'm stepping over. I'm going to grab hold of my tongue in Jesus' name. I'm going to ask two or three people to hold me accountable. Every time I start to gossip, Ask me, tell me, you're gossiping again, Tom. Stop it. But say it gentler. It's all about tone. <laughs> so my wife says. When I want to be lazy, when I want to, Father, help me to pick up my Bible starting today. Just pick up my, just start with a paragraph. Today, I want to stop with flirting with disaster and take positive action. Get back on the battlefield of life where a prince and a king belongs. Get back in the game. Get back fighting the bad guys instead of letting the bad guys put ugly things in front of my eyes. Holy Spirit, help us to be the people of God that you've called us to be. Nation changers. A woman of God. A man of God. Put bitterness and cynicism far from me. Father, I, 
draw a line in the sand. It's been stealing from me long enough, long enough, no longer. Wife, hold me accountable. Husband, hold me accountable. Woman of God, hold me accountable. This far, no further. I want to get back on the battlefield where I belong. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you don't condemn. You bring challenge. You don't kick. You call. And Lord, Holy Spirit, I want to answer and respond to your call. Your gracious, amazing call. Kindness, your kindness leads me to repentance. No longer flirting with sin. No longer acting like it's, I, I'm not going to get caught. Lord, I don't want to play that game anymore. If it can grab a Samson, if it can grab a David, Lord, who am I? Lord, I step into you. I exchange, I take your yoke upon me. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus and your life has been painful. I just want to make a quick opportunity for you because today God offers you a fresh start in life. It's called trusting in Jesus. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as me putting my hand in the air and saying, I need help. I need this Jesus. What do I do now? I'm struggling. Help me. Can I have every eye closed? Just every eye closed. Even bend your head forward. There's no cheating. If you're here today and you know you need Jesus, just slip your hand up real quick. For the first time, you know. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Can I pray for you real quick? Just keep your eyes closed. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just keep your hand down. Keep your eyes closed, everyone. Father, I thank you for the people that responded this morning. To your goodness, your love, your kindness. Jesus, I thank you that you offer me a second chance in life, a third chance, a 90th chance, a gazillionth chance. Jesus, I thank you that you keep consistently loving me. And today I want to say I'm yours. Today I want to give my life to you. Today I surrender to you. Come into my life, Jesus. Forgive my sins, top to bottom, all of them. And his promise is he will forgive you for the rest of your days. If you raised your hand, I just want to give you an, an, an opportunity. You can, everybody can open their eyes. My wife will be home on Monday, but we would love to have a cup of coffee with you if you raised your hand. Just to get your life story, how can we help you? It's an invitation to you. You come seek me out. If you need my phone number, John has it. People may be talking to me. Shoot me a text. I'll give you my home personal phone. I don't have a home number anymore. I'll give you my personal phone number, contact me. Let's go ahead and have a cup of coffee. We'd like to get to know you. And let's talk about this Jesus walk because he's good. So Father, thank you for this amazing day. Lord, no longer flirting with sin. I'm going to let go of these foolish things because I want to live with you. I want to walk with you. I want great things in my life with you. So bless these amazing people. Bless my life. Bless our families, our friends, our coworkers, all our loved ones. Bless them, Father, with the kindness of heaven. Bless them. We have an amazing day with you, King Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Have an awesome day. Be encouraged. Thanks for checking out the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. For more podcasts and additional information, visit us at lifechurchstpeters.com.